Scripture simply doesn't say very much about him at all. His story is obscure and seemingly insignificant. The crowning achievement of his life is recorded in a scant two verses, tucked away in the middle of the Old Testament among some dramatic adventures of far more important people, the kings of Israel. We're forced to do some serious detective work just to dig up a few paltry details about his background, which makes what he did all the more remarkable. His family came from the lineage of the Hararites, men of the hills, mountain dwellers. The word is a combination of the noun mountain and the verb cursed, because it was a difficult life, trying to scratch out a meager existence in the hard, unyielding rock of Israel's desert hills. And to make matters worse, his father's name was A.G., which means a fugitive or one who flees. His dad had the reputation of a coward who ran at the first sign of trouble, which makes what he did all the more remarkable. Names in ancient Israel could either reflect qualities of the bearer of that name or they could commemorate a momentous event that just happened to coincide with his or her birth and that's why they would be given the name. Now we don't know specifically what Israel was going through when Shammah was born but it must have been totally disastrous because his name means wasted, empty, desolate, deserted, devastated, or it also means the emotions attached to that, horrified, appalled, astonished, abandoned, all of which makes what he did all the more remarkable. This young man who was born at a time of appalling desolation, he determined that his history would not determine his destiny. As he grew, he refused to be confined by his meager mountain existence. And somewhere, at some time, he moved to the fertile lowlands of Israel. Now the nation was in serious trouble in those days because it was led by a backslidden king named Saul whose reign was marked by the absence of an altar and the captivity of the Ark of the Covenant. But there was another king in the wings. And Shammah soon found him, along with 400 other men. These men didn't have much going for them, but they found a hero in David. The Bible says everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, they gathered themselves unto him, and David became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Kind of sounds like church sometimes. Everybody that's in distress, and everybody that's in debt, and everybody that's discontented. Anybody ever fall into one of those categories? Yeah. Now later, David would be crowned king of Israel. And some of these same loyal men would continue to serve him. The bravest among them would be forever referred to as the 30. 
But there was a trio of soldiers whose exploits elevated them even further than that. There was the 30, but then David called this trio the three mighty men. Adino was one of them. He killed 800 men at one time with only a spear. Eleazar was another. He fought until the muscles of his hand literally froze around his sword. And Shammah became the third member of that valiant trio, which makes what he did all the more remarkable. Here's the setting. He only gets two verses in all of Scripture. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and he defended it and he slew the Philistines and the Lord wrought a great victory. The Philistines were the most fierce and enduring foe faced by the ancient Israelites. The pages of the Old Testament are literally filled with the accounts of their bloody clashes for nearly 600 years. And you can visualize with me the country of Israel, that little country along the end of the Mediterranean Sea. But in Old Testament times, the Jews were largely denied access to the entire seacoast of the Mediterranean because there was a Pentapolis, five strategically placed Philistine cities. They were strongholds, Ashdod and Ashkelon and Ekron and Gath and Gaza, and they were all up the coast, and they prevented Israel from even having much access to the sea. And the Philistines had a huge tactical advantage over Israel because they possessed the ancient technology of iron making and that made their chariots and all of their weapons superior. So they were a tough and entrenched foe. Furthermore, the Philistines were a cruel and a ruthless enemy. One of their favorite tactics, which gives us the background for Shammah's Two little verses in all of the scripture. One of their favorite tactics was what we would call the harvest attack. The Philistines would lay low for months. They would let the Israelites plant and tend their crops for an entire season. Letting them toil under the blistering sun and doing all the back-breaking work of farming the fields. And then... The Philistines would swoop down into the fields at the last moment, just as the crops were ripe, to steal the fruit of their labor, robbing Israel's family of food and robbing the nation's farmers of their livelihood. Nothing was more devastating than a harvest attack. And it had happened over and over and over again. And this year was no exception. And the Philistines were at it again. Their invading forces struck terror in the hearts of the people. And by now, most of the people had fled in fear, leaving their fields at the mercy of the enemy. These Jewish farmers were mere peasants, armed with only handmade farming tools. And they knew they had no chance whatsoever against a highly trained battalion of Philistine soldiers. 
Remaining in their fields would mean almost certain death. It wasn't worth risking life and limb to defend insignificant little plots of ground. And so, time after time, including this time, they dropped their farming tools and they ran for their lives. And brothers and sisters, that would have been the end of the story. But fortunately for Israel, and unfortunately for the Philistines, there was one man in the field that day who was not just a peasant or a farmer. He was one of David's three mighty men. He had the heart of a warrior, and he single-handedly turned the tide of the enemy's invasion that day. While all his peers fled the scene to avoid the intensity of the battle, while others abandoned the harvest they had worked so hard for, while everyone else decided that they would just have to live with the losses one more time, Shama stood his ground against the enemy. In the English language, we have a saying, when something's of little value, or negligible importance, we say, that's not worth a hill of beans. Beans are small. And on their own, they are of little value. Even a whole hill of beans is where the statement comes from, would be not worth very much. Nor would a field of beans, which is exactly what Shama finds himself defending on that fateful day of battle. Just a field of beans. Shama had only a moment to decide whether he was going to run away like his friends or whether he was going to steal his backbone and lock his feet and square his shoulders and stand up to the enemy. We don't know from scripture. There's not enough detail there. We don't know exactly what was going through his mind as he turned to face an entire Philistine battalion all alone. Maybe Shama had worked extra hard that year planting that field of beans. And maybe he just didn't want to carry home to his precious little family the bad news one more time that the Philistines came and we don't have a crop. Maybe he was just sick and tired of the raids that left their crops in ruin and their fields barren and their children hungry and their homes depleted and all their hopes defeated. Maybe he was just sick and tired. Maybe something rose up in him that said, this far, but no further. Not here, not now, not today, not this field, not this time. Maybe Shama just decided that day that he had finally had it up to here with the Philistines. Or maybe Shama had actually given this a lot of thought. Maybe it wasn't a split-second decision after all. Maybe he had thought a lot about this while he was toiling day after day after day under the blazing sun in his field of beans. No doubt he had anticipated this battle because the enemy had returned time and time and time again. He knew the Philistines would be back and he knew that the Israelites would flee once again because the Philistines always came and the Israelites always ran 
After all, it happened every few months at the end of every growing season. And he knew that it certainly wasn't easy to defend a field of beans. Because a field of beans is just a large flat field with no cover and no place to hide. And the bean vines are almost knee deep. So your feet get tangled up every time you move. Whenever you try to stand up, you're an easy target to pick off by the enemy. And the enemy can attack you from all sides because after all, you're just out in an open field. The terrain favors the Philistines. You are sorely outnumbered and anybody that could possibly help you, well, they've already hightailed it for higher ground. And yet Shama stood that day and he defended that field of beans as if it was a gold mine. He stood his ground to deny the enemy even one seemingly insignificant piece of land. Because Shaman knew something we need to know. Somewhere, sometime, you've got to stop retreating from the enemy. Somewhere, sometime, you've got to stand up to the devil. Somewhere, sometime, you've got to learn and recognize that the more territory you give up now, the more territory you're going to have to fight to get back later. Somewhere, sometime, someone has to engage in the battle. So the question Shama asked and answered is, why not here and why not now and why not me? That's what happened in Shama's heart that day. It was just a field of beans, not worth a hill of beans. But God declared to Israel in Leviticus 25 and 23, this land I'm giving you, this land shall not be sold forever. God said, for the land is mine. You're strangers and sojourners with me. This land is mine. So Shama said, if this land is God's land, then those beans are God's beans, and this field is God's field. And Shama wasn't about ready to give up even a tiny part of his God-given inheritance to the enemy. Sometimes, folks, you choose your battles. But sometimes in life, your battles choose you. King David chose Shammah as one of his three mighty men because when the battle chose Shammah, Shammah refused to run away. When the battle chose Shammah, Shammah refused to give in one inch to the enemy. He stood and he defended a field of beans even when it wasn't a comfortable place or a convenient time to fight a battle. We're, we're the internet generation. We've got so many celebrities telling us about how life should be, and it's all fake and phony. But we all want to dream big dreams, and we all want to do big things. But here's what almost everybody on this planet misses. What we miss is the seemingly insignificant little things are the things that really count in the end. 
Little battles, one day by day by endless day, can result in big victories down the road. There's so many people, they want to do something big for God. They want to be important in the kingdom, but they don't realize you got to win one little battle here and one little battle there. One little battle in the morning and one little battle in the evening. One battle on Tuesday, one on Friday, one next Monday. You've got to win little battles over and over. You remember this verse, it's pretty short. It's just six words, but it's powerful. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 27, neither give place to the devil. You see, Shama, Old Testament, he knew instinctively what Paul in the New Testament put so plainly. Don't you give the enemy even a little foothold in your life. Don't give place, don't give space to the devil. Shama stood and he fought that day. And I think the reason he fought so valiantly is because he knew if he gave up his somewhat insignificant field of beans, he'd just have to fight the Philistines later on some other battlefield. Shama knew if they take the beans, the barley will be next. And if they take the barley... They'll come back for the corn. And if they take the corn, the cattle will be next. If you give up the field, the fence will be next. And if they take the fence, they're coming back for the barn. And if they get the barn, they're coming for the house. And if you give up the house, the family will be next. And if they take the family, they'll take your future. And it all started when you gave up a field of insignificant beans. You see, the devil is no dummy. The enemy is going to fight until someone fights back. He's going to push until someone pushes back. He's going to invade our territory until we decide, hey, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, and we start to invade his territory. Hmm. You could take this message a thousand ways, but... The Lord directed me to take it this way. What about your field of beans? Will you stand up and fight the little battles in your life that no one else sees? Seemingly insignificant. Seemingly inconsequential. Nobody is going to post your picture on social media and brag about you because you won over temptation on Tuesday night or because you got victory over a lousy attitude on Thursday morning, or because you rooted out bitterness on Saturday afternoon. Nobody is going to give you any props or any praise for any of that. But if you will stand up and fight the devil where no one else sees in some of the insignificant places in life, you will win a great victory down the road. The enemy's going to push you until you push him back. He's going to fight you until you fight him back. But if you decide like Shama, this is my little field of beans. You've come this far. You're not coming one inch further. It might not look like much to you, but hey, it's mine. God gave it to me. God gave me this life. God gave me this body. God gave me this mind. God gave me my family. God gave me my home and my possessions and whatever money I got. So devil, you 
were not getting one inch of it. You were not getting any of it. It might be insignificant on the scale of the world, but hey, it's important to me. And if I fight him here, I won't have to fight him later over there because I'll push him back. I wish you'd lift up your hands and lift up your voice with a little bit of fight in it and say, devil, I'm tired of you messing with my mind and messing with my home. I'm tired of you messing with my stuff. This may be just a field of beans to everybody else, but it's my field of beans. Oh, I feel something in this room right now. I feel something as the saints of God pray. The devil's going to fight you until you fight him back. He's going to push you until you push him back. I wish somebody would just pray in the Holy Ghost for a minute. We got a room full of Holy Ghost filled people. I wish somebody would pray in the Spirit. There's something transmitted through a webcast when people pray in the Spirit. I refuse to give one inch of ground to the devil. I refuse to give one family member to the devil. I refuse to give my future to the devil. I refuse to give my spouse, my marriage, my home, my kids, my grandchildren to the devil. Not one inch. Not one inch. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, yes. Only you can answer it. What is your little insignificant field of beans where the devil wants to invade now so he can get an advantage over you later? Will you stand and fight the little battles that nobody else sees? Will you... Look the enemy squarely in the eye. Stand your ground and drive in the ground of your field a no trespassing sign. Not my heart, not my mind, not my home. No, no, no. Mm. Many people, even Christians, have decided that the beans are not worth the fight. Those little battles, those little skirmishes with the enemy, they're insignificant. Nobody knows about them anyway. And those people are too lazy or maybe too exhausted or too scared or too busy or too distracted to realize that any territory surrendered to the enemy becomes his launching point for the next assault from hell. You can't afford to give him one bean patch. You can't afford to give him one piece of property. You can't. Because the bean patch you quit fighting for becomes the base camp for him planning his next invasion. Paul said it best. I'll rephrase. If you give the devil a foothold, it eventually becomes a stronghold. He doesn't need much he doesn't need much real estate in your mind to defeat you if you just give him a little bit. He doesn't need much of a foothold in your home to set up a base camp where he can defile and destroy and discourage and debilitate every member of your family. 
Shama stood his ground all alone. And yet, not for one second do I think that he actually won the victory all by himself, even though he stood there all alone. No more than I think his mentor David defeated Goliath all by himself, not for a second. What they couldn't see and what the enemy couldn't see is that when they decided, I'm going to stand up to the enemy, Jehovah God stood up beside them and helped them put the enemy to flight. It wasn't, I'm sorry if you think different. I don't think it was David's precise skill with a slingshot. I mean, really? This little leather thing with a couple of straps and he's swinging it in the air and it goes like a guided missile to a little patch of of skin and skull on the forehead of a giant. I think Jehovah grabbed that rock as soon as it left that slingshot and I think he accelerated it like a bullet and took it right through the enemy's skull and took the enemy down. And in the same way, I don't think Shama was all that great. I don't think that he could grab one sword or one farming implement and wipe out a battalion of Philistines. But I think every swipe of that sword, God just made every effort of Shama go a little further and a whole battalion of enemy soldiers was left dead on the ground and the battle was won and Israel was encouraged and they won the day because I believe Jehovah stood beside Shama. <laughs> and I believe God God will stand beside you if you just say enough is enough is enough. I put up with this junk, this trash long enough. Devil, you are not welcome here. You are not welcome here. You are not welcome in the square footage that I call my home. You are not welcome in my children and my grandchildren. You are not welcome when somebody decides this far, no further. This is my field of beans the enemy has no choice but to back off and back up Shama's name means it's not very pretty Shama's name means appalling desolation no wonder that's not a common name anymore this is our baby appalling desolation isn't she cute Shama's name means appalling desolation And that's exactly how we feel when the enemy is invading and the battle is raging. And it seems like we are losing ground. That's exactly how Israel felt when they lost their beloved temple, the beautiful city of Jerusalem, and they went into captivity. It was appalling desolation. But there was a prophet who labored and ministered and lived among them in captivity. His name was Ezekiel, and we have his prophecy in our Bible. And Israel, he prophesied to the captives, but he prophesied hope for their future. And Israel ends his 48-chapter prophecy by prophesying of a day when there will be this new and glorious temple that will be rebuilt. And the very last verse, the very last word of the prophet Ezekiel as he tells about hope for the future and he tells about how God can step into appalling desolation and because he steps in, it turns it around. The very last verse of Ezekiel 
reads like this. Describing that temple. It was round about 18,000 measures. It was big. And the name of the city from that day shall be. The Lord is there. In Hebrew, the Lord is there is written. Jehovah Shammah. Because God can step into appalling desolation. And when he steps in and he's there, it doesn't matter what you are going through. It doesn't matter how many defeats you've experienced. It doesn't matter how many times the enemy has knocked you flat on your face in your own field. If you'll stand up and push back, Jehovah says, I'm going to be there. And where there was appalling desolation and emptiness and loneliness, and defeat and discouragement. I'm going to show up. Hmm. Shama thought he had a rotten name all his life. He actually had a pretty cool name. The, the, the Hebrew language is strange. Just vowel points being changed can change the inflection or the meaning of a word. Who would have ever thought that appalling desolation would become? The Lord is there. I got one better than that. Who would have ever thought a group of people that were born in sin, shaping in iniquity, who would have thought a group of people that never knew anything about Jesus and never knew anything about apostolic, who would have thought we'd be sitting here in a service on a Sunday night in the month of January in the year 2021 and we would have the Holy Ghost in our hearts. See, where there was appalling desolation, now Jehovah is there. Now Jesus lives there. And so you are not going to be standing alone when you stand up to the enemy. You are not going to be fighting by yourself when you decide, devil, this far but no further. I preach this message. I come to this church family today because there's just something that is rising up in the people of God at this time. And here's what we've got to come to. I know we'd all love to see this big explosion of spiritual victory and see God just whoop the devil and put him to flight. But God is way more interested in what he does through your life on your turf. Because if we have one big victory at 71 Downing Street, that's one thing. But if we have a victory in that house and in that house and in that neighborhood and in that apartment building and over there in that house and in that subdivision, all of a sudden the victory gets won on a thousand battlefields. Your life is a battlefield. I don't want to insult you, but your house is a field of beans. (laughs) You say, yeah, that's right. My house isn't worth a hill of beans. Where you live, that's your field of beans. Where you live, that's your battleground. And if God can win a little battle over here and here and here and here and here and here, that pales in comparison. See, we think that's the lesser, that's the least, that's the little. God said, no, that's the big, that's the massive. If we can take what we've got and put it in every house so every house becomes a prayer meeting. So every house becomes a place of victory. So every house is a place that loves the word. So every house is making disciples out of every family member and neighbors and friends. All of a sudden, Shama's little victory that only gets two verses in the Bible, it doesn't look so tiny after all. It looks like it just might be the key to what we need to do in 2021. The devil will push. 
until you push back. The devil will fight until you fight back. So I come to our church family with a war cry. I'm really kind of ramped up about this. I'm just telling somebody, it's got to rise up in your spirit. Pastor can't do it for you. The ministry team can't do it for you. The great singers and musicians can't whip up a song that will do it for you. You've got to do it for you. Devil, I am so tired. Just about the time I think I've got a victory. Just about the time I think I'm making progress. You sweep in and you steal the harvest that I've prayed so hard about and I've worked so hard for and I've fasted and I've sought God and you just swoop in and steal it. Well, this time, you got another thought coming. I'm going to stand my ground and I am going to push you back. And Shama, appalling desolation when you stand up. Jehovah steps right in beside you. And beside Shama is Jehovah Shama. The Lord is there. I want you to raise your hands tonight. Your hands aren't all that important right now. I'll tell you what is way more important than your hands is your voice. Would you get your voice up in the atmosphere? Would you get your prayer up in the airwaves? And would you just lift it to God? The devil's fighting some families that are in this room. The devil's fighting some families that are in our other building. The devil's fighting some families that are watching me right now online. And somebody in that family has to stand up and pick up your weapon as meager as it is and say, no further. This is where I draw the line. Devil, you're not getting a foothold to turn into a stronghold. I push you back. I push you down. I push you out in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That needs way more than a 35-second prayer. That needs a little push in the Spirit. That leads a little intensity in the Holy Ghost. Yes, 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 yes. That's good. Why don't we all stand right now and why don't we lift our hands? And if you're with somebody and you're in a bubble with them, would you grab them by the hand and lift that hand with yours? And let's pray right now. One for another. One for another. Families together. Couples together. Homes together. Let's pray one for another. You don't know who's fighting a battle. It might be little to you, but it's significant to them. It might be little to you, but but it is where life and death is going to be decided for their future. So we need to push in the name of Jesus. I speak against the debilitating depression that is trying to bind someone's mind and spirit. I speak against temptations and addiction and bondage that are trying to twist somebody's spirit into knots and pervert God's image in them. I speak against the attack and the onslaught of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Jehovah is there. Jesus is here. Devil, you are defeated. I push you back in Jesus' name. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not ready to let go of this just yet. There's something happening as the saints of God pray. I believe it's happening right now, though I can't see it in our other building. I believe it's happening, though I can't see it in your home right now. 
Era boloto korrabaha. Mendo rababa beso. Leto la baleriado shasabaha. Mando la baba kyota la baha. Sore boloto koshesabaha. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Right now, I don't want you to let go of your bubble, but I'd like you to turn around every different angle in this building. I'd like you to face some other family, some other person, and I'd like you to just lift your, don't touch them. That's against the rules. We'll be fine. I just want you to raise your hand toward them. I know the Holy Ghost, if it can be transmitted across the internet, it can be transmitted between your hand and your voice and that person. So turn towards somebody and just pray for them. Pray for their home. Pray for their family. Pray for their kids. Pray for their grandchildren. Pray for their spouse. If you don't even know their name, just pray. Jesus, show up in their house. Show up in their life. Stand beside them. Stand with them. I rebuke sickness. I rebuke disease. I rebuke cancer. I rebuke COVID-19. I rebuke every infirmity that is trying to attack the people of God in the name of Jesus. 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 five minutes in your church it's about four minutes after seven I'd like to turn this place into a prayer meeting you can kneel, you can be seated you can stand out in the other building you can kneel, you can be seated you can stand why don't we give Jesus five minutes of intense prayer five minutes of sword swinging spiritual activity to say devil I am not going home the same as I walked in I refuse to go back and lose the battle all over again in the name of Jesus it's different in the name of Jesus, I'm pushing back in the name of Jesus. I'm gonna fight for it.
of Jesus. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Satan, the word of God is against you. Satan, the Holy Ghost is against you. Church, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You don't have to put up with the, what the devil has been trying to put on you. You don't have to put up with what the devil has been trying to put on you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I wish somebody would clap your hands and with every snap of your palms together, I wish you'd envision chains breaking. isn't stronger than the name of Jesus. The devil isn't stronger than the blood of Jesus. The devil isn't stronger than the word of God. The devil isn't stronger than the Holy Ghost. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So stand your ground. Fight back. Push back. In the name of Jesus. Can you grab your bubble one more time? Take their hand. If you're in the same home, the same bubble with them, I want to pray over you before we go. Lord Jesus, I don't know any specifics, but I know why you laid this message on my heart so strongly. It's because while your church is trying to push forward, we got some people that are disconnected at home. And day after day and week after week and month after month now, they've been losing some little battles. They didn't think it would be all that significant when they yielded to this or when they gave into that or when they allowed this in their home or when they allowed this to have space in their thoughts. They just thought it was a field of beans. Not very much at all. Not very significant. But now the days have turned into weeks. And the weeks have turned into months. And they feel defeated and disheartened and discouraged. And they don't know how to get back to where they were. Jesus, I don't want to oversimplify their life or insult their emotions. But the answer is actually pretty straightforward. Jesus put it in their heart to fight the devil. Put it in their heart to push back. Because the devil will fight until somebody fights back. And the devil will push until somebody pushes back. So put it in their heart to push and put it in their heart to fight and let this be their day and their week of victory.
over what the enemy has tried to take from them. I refuse to give him an inch when you purchased the whole field. I pray this over my friends, over our church family, and over everyone that will hear this message. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who always giveth us the victory. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. That wasn't a good shout. One more time. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. And that's how you got to go home. And that's how you got to go to sleep. And that's how you got to get up in the morning. And that's how you got to live every day this week. Don't think those battles are insignificant. Every one of them are important. And if you'll win a few of those little battles, you will be stepping on clouds by the time you get back to the house of God. I speak it over you because I believe in you. Because you are God's people and you're his kids. And with a God like that who, who is for us, who in the world could ever be against us? Don't you feel it? It's amazing. Jesus, you're amazing. And God's people are amazing. Love you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you especially for being in the other building where it's a little less convenient and you're watching everybody on screens. Thank you for watching online, our church family at home. We're so thankful for you.